Hunt Wheels proudly supports the Slow Guy on the Fast Ride podcast. Since 2015, Hunt Wheels has created hand-built, purpose-driven wheels to meet the needs of riders of every discipline, from road and gravel to mountain bikes and everything in between. Hunt Wheels have rolled to victory at the highest levels of racing and delivers that performance right to your door. Visit HuntBikeWheels.com to learn more. This year, it's gonna be better, it's gonna be different. I got a really good feeling about it this year, it's gonna be better. It's got so much well, hey there, friends and neighbors. It's Dan Cavallari, Slow Guy on the Fast Ride, here with another episode of the Slow Guy on the Fast Ride podcast. And today is a special one, guys. I'm super stoked today because I've got two of my favorites on the line. And, you know, I'll tell you what, Tour de France is coming up very quickly. So I wanted to kind of get the skinny on the race because, honestly, I just haven't had the time to to get up to, up to speed myself. So I figured, let's go right to the top. Let's go to the two of the guys that are veterans in the space to talk about Tour de France this year. I'm going to have a, a, a new vested interest in it because I can't ride right now. I threw my back out. So I'm, I'm like extra stoked for the Tour de France. I'm not going to be there this year, which was a bummer. But on the line, I've got all the way from Spain, somebody I've spent a lot of tours to France with, uh, Andrew Hood, who is the European editor of Velo. I don't know if it's, is it Velo Magazine? Is it Velo? What? It used to be Velo News. It's now Velo. Is it just Velo? It's just Velo. Just Velo. Nice. Clean it tight. Clean it. All right. right. (laughs) Velo it is. And on the other, on the line, uh, just from up the road here in Boulder, Colorado, I also have on the line a uh, former Velo News editor-in-chief and current freelance writer, Neil Rogers. Neils. Thanks, Neil. Neils? Neil. There's just one of you. Neil. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks for joining me. <laughs> it's just me. Yeah, I left my yeah. alter ego uh, in the other room. Maybe he'll he'll make an appearance later. We'll see. <laughs> well, between the between the three of us, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, tours tours in person, and we've followed them for years and years. Uh, you, you know, I followed Hoodie around like a lost puppy for many years at uh, various places in France. So, Hoodie, you know, you you're the guy that kind of knows the most about the route coming up and, and, you know, sort of the storylines of what we can expect of this year's tour. And I think that there's a lot of new fans with the tour de France documentary on Netflix. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be clamoring for sort of a, a a plot outline of what we're, we can expect this year, the 2023, 23 tour de France. It starts in Bilbao, which is not far from you. Um, And it's a pretty front loaded race. How do you think that's going to to play out and what, what can we expect to see differently this year, given the route? Uh, as compared to to last year's tour. Yeah, it's great to see you guys, and thanks for having us on. Uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting tour to France. You know, every tour starts anew, starts afresh. You know, you got the tour is the star, then all the actors come in and fill out the plot lines every every July. And I think you're right after, I think the Netflix video is going to drive some new interest in the race. And really, this year, there's a couple of good plot lines that are developing already. You know, Mark Cavendish going for the record 35th win. You got Pogacar and Vingago as kind of the new kings of the tour. And both of them are really fighting for supremacy with the two super teams of Jumbo Visma and UAE. And then uh, behind that, you have some, uh, you know, some of the older stars that some of the fans will be familiar with, you know, Peter Sagan, his last tour, Thibaut Pino, uh, Mark Cavendish's last tour as well. There's a whole generation moving out 
and there's a new generation that's already taking control of the tour. So I think that's kind of a couple of the threads that'll be interesting to follow this year. And you're right, it's a very front-loaded Tour de France. Uh, we were just digging through some of the stage uh, files to backload for the, the website and everything. And, you know, really the first stage of this year's tour in uh, the Basque Country, there's three stages in the Spanish Basque Country before it crosses over into France. And man, it's the hardest first stage in any tour that I've ever been to. I mean, it's like it's like a full-on mountain stage to start the tour. Um, then you have the, the Tourmalet, Col de Tourmalet, or Category Climb, already in stage six. So it's just going to be a wacky race. You know, a lot of people will probably lose time in that first week. They probably wouldn't lose time. And then you go into uh, really the second and third week. It's unrelenting. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a pretty spectacular race. Pretty explosive. Neil, what do you think? What, are we are we going to see uh, some some massive fireworks early on? Well, yeah, I was actually going to ask Andy about that. Um, so when you say that first stage is like a mountain stage, are you referring to sort of like total vertical meters elevation, or are there actually long climbs? I don't I don't know the first stage that well. Yeah, it's more of one of a roller coaster. It's kind of like the wealth of the Basque Country, you know, the tour of the Basque Country, where it's just up and down all day, all day. I think the cumulative meters might be 4,000, 3,500, you know, which is a heavy day. Um, but yeah, I think the last hard climb is about 10 Ks uh, yeah, at 10%. Legit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a, uh, I mean, not quite 10 Ks, but it's a very steep climb with 10 Ks to go. Um, mm. So yeah, it's not going to be a, a, a tourmalade style climb on the very first day. Sure. But it's the hardest stage. Too hard for, for like a Vanderpool or a Van Aert. I mean, that's like, those are the kind of guys, you know, you look at the last few t- tours, those are the, you know, or an Alaphilippe. Those are the guys who kind of tend to, you know, that when they've had those hard early stages have gone out, win the stage, take the jersey. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's, we'll see. I think a lot of it depends on how hard they race it. Uh, being the first stage and having you know, a jersey in play you can expect those guys to go all in, right? Especially a guy like uh, Vanderpool, you said, and Alaphilippe, uh, Pidcock. Those kinds of riders, I think, would be vying for the for the yellow jersey on the first day. You know, long gone are the days of the prologue. <laughs> do you think? Do you think this will have a market effect on on sprinters? I mean, to have that stage right out of the gate. I mean, do you expect to see sprinters drop off, or do you think it's going to be? something that they can they can get through to sort of contend i think what stage four or five i think is is really the first chance right yeah i think stage three and four the first chances um okay yeah there's no way they'll be contesting for the yellow jersey this year because they'll lose so much time uh these first two stages because stage two goes over the heist cabal which is the big climb featured in the classica um Mm -hmm. So it's uh, you know it's a very mount- mountainous kind of a hilly start for these first two days. Sprinters with the chances on stage three and four, and then in the back end of that first week, there's still another uh, day before the first week is out. So, but yeah, you won't be seeing a Mark Hammon just racing for uh, the yellow jersey this year. <laughs> What's really interesting about them putting a stage that difficult. At the, on the opening stage in the Grand Depart is that, you know, so often in Grand Tours, there's like, it's a slow build, right? It's a simmer to a boil. And there's always these questions about form and there are people, you know, and we saw that a lot at the Giro d'Italia this year. Like, are they, you know, 
Evenepoel was so good at the beginning, but Roglic is riding himself into form. And, you know, but, but when it's that explosive on the first stage, it's going to sort of eliminate a lot of those questions right away. And we're going <laughs> to see who's fit. And yes, maybe people will be riding into form, but how much time may they have lost if it's actually going to be decisive, you know, GC stage on the first day. It's like everybody's going to put their cards out immediately. Yeah. And the TT is not till really late in the, in the tour. Correct. It's like, it's way late. Do you think that's a moment for, for GC guys to, to play the equalization after weeks of, of having the sort of the early storylines set already since the first stage is probably going to set that stage. Yeah. I think the, well, the, the only time trial comes at the beginning of the third week and it's only wow. okay. less than 25 K's, I think 22 K's. And even that's kind of a climbing time trial. It has like a little cat two in the route. Uh, so it's not even a pure uh, power course at all. Um, so, yeah, I think Neil is exactly right, though, in terms of uh, I think right off the gun, no one can like ride into this tour and kind of find their legs or save anything for the last week. To I think they have to be responsive right from the first week. You know, it, it's hard to start the first weekends with the return of Le, Le Puy de Dome in the, the famed volcanoes back on stage nine at the end of the second weekend. And then it, then it just goes into this relentless string of stages in the Alps. And then there's some real tricky stages right at the end before it hits back to Paris. Um, mm-hmm. So it's going to be an unrelenting tour. Uh, it's going to be none of this slow boil stuff that we saw at the, at the Giro this year. It was kind of really, I thought almost a boring Giro, really. I mean, the weather was a factor, and there were some headwinds, a couple of the big GC climbing stages early in that Giro, so didn't see a lot happening. But yeah. this tour, I think it's going to be about riders you know, losing time and having to try to get that back if they do. And it's it's like just, I mean, it's tailor-made for like Pogacar. It's just full of mm-hmm. like punchy hard climbs, all the way through this entire tour, Vingo, you know, will have those longer climbs that he likes in the second half of this tour. But the first half of this tour is just perfect for Pagacha. Yeah. Sounds like this is all made for Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> the plot of this tour de France. Well, if it is, hopefully um, you know, they have talk- access to UAE this time around. Yeah, that would be nice. That, it was sort of like uh, strange how the Netflix documentary played played Pogaccia like he was like uh, Ivan Drago from Rocky. You know, he's just this very distant character that nobody gets to touch. Uh, hopefully, we'll see a little bit more of him in season two. But, you know, there is a name we haven't talked about him because I think, you know, Pogaccia and Vingegaard, they, they dominated the storylines uh, for the last, really the last two uh, tours de France. But Egan Bernal's coming back. Um, you know, he's had a long, long road back to, from, from a serious, serious injury. Is he a contender? I mean, he was the future of, you know, the future generation before his big injury. He, does he still have it? Is he going to give it to, uh, to, to Pogaccia and Vingegaard and make this a three-way jockey race here? I don't think so. And I, I'm a big fan of Egan Bernal and I would love to see it. And I, I think it's possible we may see that again in his career. But I don't think there's been anything since he returned to racing that would say he's ready to compete at that level. And I think, honestly, mm-hmm. what would be uh, more important to him would be to win a stage. Um, so yeah. I expect that, you know, he may try to stay in the GC hunt uh, for a little while. Anything can happen. 
Um, but my expectation is that he will probably drop down the standings and then later in the race get into a breakaway and try to win a stage. And for Bernal, a former tour winner, to to win a stage would be, in in a way, it would be enough of a message to the world like hey look at me i'm back you know back from almost being in a yeah. wheelchair to to winning at the tour de france if not winning the tour de france mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hody, what do you think yeah i agree basically 100 percent with everything neil said can i just repeat what you just said neil does that work and just <laughs> i mean people need to realize like that uh, yeah. i also <laughs> used to follow hoodie around the tour i think i don't know how many tours we did together <laughs> six or seven and uh I learned Mm -hmm. a lot from Andy over the years. So, you know, probably what I'm saying is just informed with, I don't know, how many nights would we spend after a stage of the tour together? I bet if I added it up, Andy, it's over 100. Um, So, yeah, I'm just sort of like, Hoodie's taught me well. (laughs) I'm saying Uh, what he would say before him. (laughs) (laughs) What would Hoodie say? What would Hoodie say? (laughs) You don't know, want to know what I would say, actually, but no. (laughs) <laughs> no, I, t- I, I, I do completely agree with Neil. I think, you know, him, I mean, the sources are telling us that he will likely race the tour, which is a huge story right there. And, uh, you know, he was at the, at the Dauphiné. He didn't really do anything to show. I mean, he was in there, you know, he was doing better than I even expected him to do at the Dauphiné, but, you know, he, he was losing time on some of those big climbs, you know, which was expected. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the fairy tale for him would be to win a stage and to win a stage. And then, yeah, maybe if that's, if that's the step and then maybe next year he can come back, but it just shows you, you know, how precarious that road to, to multiple tour victories really is. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. when, when, uh, Bernal won, no one even knew who, uh, Pogacar or, or Vingago even were. And, uh, you know, he was being tapped as the next five-time winner. He, he was the guy coming in, being groomed by Team Sky Enios, and he was just going to march and just keep that whole program at the top of the sport for another half decade. And look at what suddenly, yeah. you know, Enios, they really almost have no one to win a, uh, the Tour de France right now. I mean, you know, right. Thomas, second at the Giro, fantastic. Third last year, but he's not going to beat those guys. And, you know, Danny Martinez, quality rider last year he was sick so but you know podium is realistic but anything can happen mm-hmm. pogacar broke his wrist yeah. at uh liege best on liege i mean we'll see how he comes back i mean that's going to be a big question too is you know i don't know if anybody's injured their wrist but it's not easy to ride your bike with a broken wrist they, they're saying that right. the break wasn't that severe and that it was not a complicated break so but, uh, you know, the sport, things can change real fast. And everyone thought Vingegaard, everyone thought, let's go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I was going to say, watching the Netflix documentary, the one thing that I really took away from it is something that I obviously should know after covering the sport for 20 years, but it just reminded me, particularly the images, uh, from, the amazing images from inside the bunch on the bike cameras. It just reminded me of how much luck is actually involved in winning the tour for all the skill, for all the team tactics, for all the positioning. I mean, sometimes, pardon my French, there's just shit luck, right? I mean, that happened to Roglic last mm-hmm. year. And we even saw, you know, Vingegaard went down in a crash late, uh, in the, like in the third week, late in the race. Um, and, and there's so many things outside of your control. And then, you know, 
I hate to bring it up, but we saw at the Giro COVID. I mean, COVID can play a role as well. So, you know, you're dealing with sort of a roll of the dice in the bunch. You're somewhat dealing with a roll of the dice in terms of exposure when you're not in the race. And, and you know, any for anyone to be a repeat tour champion, there just has to be an incredible amount of good fortune. And thinking of luck, I mean, with Vingegaard and, and Tadej Pogaccia, I mean, assuming that they stay healthy throughout the three weeks, I mean, it's it's almost, you know, foregone conclusion, we'll see a big battle there. But what about third? I mean, we've got guys like David Gadu and um, Richard Carapaz. I mean, what kind of breaks, what kind of luck needs to go their way for them to, you know, end up third or second or, you know, or really even take the control out of, you know, Pogaccia's uh, hands? Or is there anything they can do? Or just are they just reliant on luck? <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're going to see a lot of those guys, the Mika Landas, the Enrique Masses, and like you said, Carapaz and those guys. I think there's two ways to play. You just keep following the wheel, following the wheel, following the wheel, stay in the frame, hoping those guys have a bad day, a crash, get sick, get COVID, test positive, who knows, and then you're next right. in line. Um, or you might see somebody really just throw the dice and go for it. And that's kind of what uh, – that's how Carapaz won his Giro a few years ago. I remember it was like Nibali versus uh, Roglic and yeah. no one even knew who Carapaz was and he just rode away from everybody. Uh, you know, could someone do that this year? Maybe. But, you know, the Tour and the Giro, as we all know, are quite different beasts. Um, sure. I mean, a roll of the dice on that first stage or the second stage, I mean, do you think that that could have a big impact, a big enough impact on those guys? For sure. I mean, with the with the yellow jersey on the line that first day, and then depending on how many time gaps there is, even the second day the yellow jersey could be in play. I I, I can it's I just it's hard to see in a scenario where a break or a single rider is going to drop the entire peloton on a course that hard, mm-hmm. uh, and then sure to let and to let them go as well. Well, on that note, yeah. the, uh, Dan's question: Is there a rider that? Either of you, I mean, is it worth discussing? Like, is there sort of like a a, a a pick for third that, I mean, I think we know one, two, assuming they get through the race healthy, same guys that were one, two last year and the year before. Is there one rider that seems like the most likely podium finisher? Man, Hoodie, I'll let you, I'll let you lead the way in that. I have, I have an idea, but it's, it's more of like a, a romantic idea. <laughs> <idea. laughs> I mean, if you look at the, if you look at the track records, you'd have to go with a guy like say Jay Hindley. Yeah, Henley. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he won the tour last year, won the Giro last year, uh, kind of grinding it out, you know, staying in there, staying in there, and then had the good legs on the on the last day to win. Uh, I think that's the kind of rider I think that will – kind of like Thomas last year was third. It's like that's the kind of racing that's going to get you uh, in the third place behind Pogo and Vingago. That's that's mm-hmm. so you guys guys like Landa, maybe Hindley that are just always consistent, always there, don't lose time, and can just be super consistent across three weeks. That was going to be my choice mm-hmm. as well, although with the caveat that this is his first Tour de France, and you know that it it's a race like no other, and so sometimes riders really shine in their Tour debut, but that kind of pressure as a GC rider TBD, but I think it's sort of physically that he would be my, my choice as well. Henley was the first name that came to my mind, but I, the choice I want to make, and I call this Netflixification of Dan's brain, but David Gadu, right? Like he's been, he's been sniffing, right? He's almost there. 
and he, and he's done it without the strongest team. He's done it. I mean, he's, he just got sheer talent and, and a good head for, for strategy and where to be, when to be there. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think it would be a really cool storyline. It'd be a really romantic win, <laughs> but I think Hindley's probably more likely. Um, but man, to see Gadu, I mean, he's just such a, he's such, such a pleasant fellow. Netflix did, told me did, that. <laughs> I should know this and I don't have it in front of me. Didn't Gadu finish ahead of Vingegaard at Harry Nice where Pogaccio won? Didn't uh, Gadu ride into second? I think that's right. I have to go back and look, but I think you're right. Um, uh, you know, he's, again, he's sort of one of those guys that just sort of sniffs around the peripheral of peripheral of his big success. You know what I mean? Um you know, and the tour is a big stage. It's it's the biggest stage in the world. So, I mean, why not why not take your chances there, especially with with an opportunity early? So, just, just to see um, more more of Mark Matteo totally freaking out. Yeah, that's worth. That yeah, right there, right? But exactly. We need more more sweet Matteo footage. <laughs> we're gonna um, we're gonna take a quick break here, but I want to get back uh, and talk a little bit about some of the other jerseys and some of the other storylines, uh, and of course the Americans. There are some Americans in the race. What can we expect from them? We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be back right back with Neil Rogers and Andrew Hood. With victories in Grand Tour stages, national titles, endurance events like Unbound XL and the Tour Divide. Hunt Wheels have proven themselves equal to the most grueling race courses and demanding conditions on the planet. Whether your passion takes you on the tarmac or off-road in the dirt, Hunt's in-house engineering and development teams have created world-class wheels to get you rolling on your adventure. Want the hard numbers that show the immense effort and detail that goes into the design of every Hunt Wheel? Our real-world testing results and transparent data are available right now on our website. Since 2015, Hunt has delivered its hand-built, purpose-driven wheels directly to riders everywhere. Each one backed by best-in-class rider support teams based in Boulder, Colorado and West Sussex, UK. Visit HuntBikeWheels.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Slow Guy on the Fast Ride podcast. I am still your host, Dan Cavallari. I am still here in Colorado chatting with Andrew Hood, all the way from Spain, and Neil Rogers, just up the road in Boulder, Colorado. And we're talking Tour de France. We spent uh, quite a bit of time talking about the GC battle, which I think is going to be a pretty compelling storyline right out of the gate, given the course. Uh, and and some of the strong riders, uh, we, we know we're going to expect a clash here, but there's other things on the line. There's other jerseys. Uh, specifically, let's talk the green jersey to start, because... There's there's quite a few things going on. Uh, Mark Cavendish could break Eddie Merckx's record this year. Uh, the early stages might put a damper on a lot of uh, sprinters' hopes because they have to survive those stages before they can even get to their first uh, shot at winning. Uh, let's start there. Uh, can Cav break Merckx's record this year? What do you guys think? What's your what's your money on? Yes or no? No. No. No from Neil. Uh, anything's possible, but. And he did win that final stage at the Giro. Um, but the the field at the Giro was not the field we'll see at the Tour. And, uh, you know, he had how many opportunities to get it right at the Giro. And he finally got it right on that last stage. I don't think so. But uh, I, I hate to ruin, you know, I hate to rain on anyone's <laughs> parade. But that, I, I don't see it happening. Yeah. What about you, Hoodie? I, I, you know, I think he'll actually do it. Uh, you know, Cavendish is such a cagey little weaselly kind of rider. I mean, <laughs> I can't say that. I mean, he's he's become that way now because that's he yeah. can still win based on just how good he is. Um, 
you know, back in the day when all of us were at the tour together, you know, he was just smashing the sprints, right? He would just, he would demoralize the field and, you know, a guy like Tyler Farah, you know, had to race in Cavendish's best years and won one Tour de France stage and Cavendish was reeling off three, four, five every year. And that's how he got to 34, obviously. But I know all the Belgians are cheering against him. You know, they don't want to see uh, Cavendish beating uh, Merckx's record. You know, he's already tied it, obviously, but, you know. Um, but I think he can do it. I mean, I thought it was I thought it was one of the best moments in the Giro this year when Garrett Thomas was leading him out in, in Rome. I mean, yeah. how cool was that? I was just I that thought was that great. surpassed, you know, yeah. all, you know, all the rivalries and all the team politics. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. G just went to the front and took a poll for Cavendish. And, you know, that's what he was missing that entire Giro. He, you know, be, Astana did not have a train for him at the Giro. Right. So, you know, at this Giro, at this tour, he's going to have more riders than he had that, at the Giro. Cease uh, Bowl mm-hmm. be there, uh, Fedorov, uh, and uh, what's the other guy's name? Um, but he'll have a few guys to help him. But, man, without having that quick step lead out, with more yeah. cough than he had, you know, two years ago, uh, that's 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 a big difference. Um, so it'll be difficult, but I think he can do it. It's also worth mentioning. We just saw- that, sorry, Dan. Uh, just today, right. they announced that Mark Renshaw was hired uh, to work with Astana. When I first read the headline, I was like, is he coming out of retirement? Because it was just sort of like Astana <laughs> hires Renshaw for the tour, yeah. but he's going to essentially be focused on the lead out. Um, that's his right. whole job, you know, as Cavendish's former lead out man, he's going to just sort of, uh, dictate, analyze, refine, you know, as the race goes on. And I think in Cavendish, you know, he posted on Instagram or Twitter or whatever that, you know, he's just buzzing about it. And that, that could be the difference, honestly, because I think exactly yeah. what Hoodie said, he just did not have the lead out at the Giro and, right. you know, Seaspool, uh, top rider, but I, I it still doesn't have that. I mean, I'm looking at the preliminary start list and it just doesn't have that look of like a well-oiled lead out train that we've seen, which I do think is very important for Cav to be put into position. And well, it's important for any sprinter, but particularly a guy like Cav who likes to kind of just like squirt out in the last, you know, 250 meters. He doesn't like to to launch the long sprint. Um, Right. So uh, we'll see. I, I think it'd be cool to see it um, be a great yeah. story. And this is his final tour. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, and that was what I was going to bring up was, was the Mark Renshaw hiring. And it seems to me like, you know, Astana is taking it very seriously to get Cavendish at least, at least a stage win, if not several. Um, so, you know, there is, there is that, but also, you know, the field of sprinters is, is strong. They're younger, um, it's, it's, you know, but we've, we've also, and here's, <laughs> here's what always hangs me up about Cavendish. I remember the 2016 tour getting there and there were, the talk was, oh, Cav is, Cav is washed up. Cav is done. And we, and then that storyline crops up again a year later and a year later, Cav's never done. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we can't count him out, but you know, we also are used to that battle with, you know, with him and Sagan, who also seems like he's kind of lost his touch. Uh, this is his last tour. What do you expect, if anything, out of Sagan this year? Um, I'm sorry to say I don't expect much. It's I, I'm going to upset some Sagan fans here, but <laughs> I've just been a bit disappointed with his sort of farewell season. It feels a bit to me mm-hmm. like he's phoning it in. 
bike racing's hard. I get it. Um, you know, the, the passion dwindles, the desire he's, he's accomplished a lot, but, um, I would have liked, and maybe, you know, I'll be eating my words in three weeks from now, but I would have liked to have seen Sagan go out with a little bit more of the style and panache that we, you know, came to love from him. Um, and, Again, sort of as I was saying with Bernal, there's just nothing in what we've seen from Sagan so far this year that would say that he would be in there to win. Um, but, you know, he's a, he's a class rider and there's a lot of, uh, you know, field sprints are a bit of a lottery sometimes. There's a bit of luck involved. Um, but I think if Sagan is going to win a stage, I don't think it's going to be a field sprint. He might get into a break and win that way. Yeah, yeah. Hody, what do you think? Agree? Again, just hit the push, three uh, feet in play. It's like, Neil, man, yeah. just, you stole my thunder, man. You just like wrap it all up there. The perfect you taught us well, Hoodie. Yeah. You taught us well. <laughs> well, it'd be yeah, awesome well, to see it, though. I hope he does. It'd yeah. be awesome to see it. Yeah. I mean, talk about a bookend to a, to a career. I mean, all-time right. green jersey record holder. Um, yeah, he just really made the tour so fun and exciting for a few years there. And I, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, with Sagan, he's had some bad luck uh, the last couple of years. I mean, he got COVID like three or four times, two or three times. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you guys have had COVID before, man, but I had it twice last year. And it's a bitch. I can't imagine being a professional athlete having to come back from that. Um, yeah. But yeah, he, he is, uh, you know, I know in talking to some people close to him that he's frustrated by his own performances, that he was hoping to be better. Uh you know, they say he's doing the work. They say he's still being professional, but it's just not playing out in the races. And mm -hmm. it's going to be hard for him at the tour this year uh, with the sprint stages that are there. Yeah, I mean, not only do you have the pure sprinters, you also got got guys like uh, the Vanderpools and the Wow Van Aerts yeah. and the Christophe Laporte who can jump in the sprints as well. So. You know, maybe we'll see uh, Sagan get into some breaks. He was doing that even a few years ago to try to get, you know, tracing points. And, you know, he's not chasing the points jersey this year, but a few years ago when he, I think he lost to Sam Bennett, we were seeing mm -hmm. more aggressive style racing from uh, Sagan. So I think that's probably what we'll see this year is him to try to jump into a couple of big moves. And, you know, he could easily win, you know, better chances of winning out of, say, a group of 10 than a mass jump, mass group yeah. to the line. So maybe, maybe like Emil said, expect to see him in some breakaways. Um, now here's, here's a question now, because, uh, while Van Aert recently said that he's not targeting the green Jersey, do you think he ends up with it anyway? <laughs> or do you think there's somebody, <laughs> somebody else that could take it? Yeah, I was, yeah, I'm looking forward to, right, go ahead, Andy. Uh, yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing uh, Vanderpool make a serious run for it. Yeah. Um, um, you know, the tour so far that he's been to, uh, you know, he was, had the Olympics two years ago and then last year, uh, just different ambitions. And then, um, you know, I think Vanderpool is one of those, you know, I mean, Neil's written about him, you know, generational riders that, you know, is really changing the way people look at racing and, and he's helped evolve the race into like what we're seeing today, which makes the racing so exciting is that every rider comes to every race to race to win. And that's really mm -hmm. one of been of the biggest changes really over the last 10, 20 years. You know, this whole idea of just waiting for the tour, using this race to get ready for that race, you know, that doesn't happen anymore. And it was guys like uh, Vanderpool that really helped usher that in. So mm -hmm. I'm excited to see what he can do in the, in the points jersey. And there's even like a scenario, I mean, just the way this route is stacked up. And I mean, I know 
the points favor the uh, sprint stages, um, but there are still points, you know, in the mountain stages. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. just looking the other day, thinking that you know maybe Pogacar, because the way the King of the Mountains work these days, like the GC winner, the yellow jersey, almost always wins the King of the Mountains now, uh, and Pogacar is still in the white jersey. So it's like, is it possible that he could Pogacar if he's in his full splendor? You know, he'll be he'll be sprinting for uh, time bonuses in some of these stages. He'll be getting points. Yeah. You know, could Pogacar win all four jerseys? That's yeah. on the far realm Wouldn't of that be something. But yeah, he could just totally Netflix would it. Netflix would explode next year. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, Neil, what do you think? Well, I have two thoughts on the green jersey. Uh, first off. I just I have to once again reiterate the performance by Wout Van Aert at last year's Tour de France was unlike anything I have ever seen in 20 years of Absolutely. watching professional cycling and I still don't really comprehend it in in ter- what did he won three stages he set a pace that dropped Pogachar on the Hodakam uh he won the final time trial he, he obviously won the green jersey. His team won yellow. I mean, it was just the, the amount of breakaways, the solo moves. It, so I just once again have to say that was – you may never see anything like that again. I mean – That was something else. Um, yeah. So back to, to this year, green jersey and, and Vanderpool, I would normally say is a good candidate. However, on his team is Jasper Philipson who – is arguably the quickest sprinter in the final 250 meters. He's sort of got, in my estimation, he's got that sort of calf finishing speed. You know, Caleb Ewan is another, but he just hasn't really been able to put it together. I hope he does. I would love to see Caleb Ewan win a stage at this tour. I think it's well-deserved. Um, but when was the last time we saw somebody target or win the green Jersey when they had a, uh, a faster field sprinter in their team. Cause I, I can't think of it ever happening. Maybe it has, but that that's a tough ask when the team's going to be mm-hmm. targeting stages with Phillips and that Vanderpool could actually take green. Well, and I guess that goes back to hoodie's point though. I mean, there's, there's other places besides the sprints to get points. I mean, do you think that shifts things toward a guy like Vanderpool? Um, you know, and, and, and again, because things are happening so early, maybe, you know, the, the, because my my pick was also Philipson. I think I think he's the most obvious choice from that team. But also, you know, because the the tour this year is so hilly right off the bat, do you think that there's a wait and see attitude to see you know who who can pick up the most points early and see what happens in those early stages? Yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, the uh, I mean traditionally that's like the last old school jersey that that still goes to you know it's the sprinter's jersey. So. Right. Yeah, I mean, Phillips and the UNs, those are the guys that are going to win because you get the point. You win the stage, you get the points. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes out because I think, uh, uh, you know, that team has shown that they, they can split it out. But, yeah, I mean, on the flat, pure sp- sprint stages, they'll ride for Phillips and, and right. uh, Vanderpool will get a shot, you know, in different hillier terrain. So mm-hmm. that might mm-hmm. split the points on that team, though, too. So go sure. off to play with that. Uh, a little bit to make sure that uh, somebody else doesn't take away that jersey. My, yeah. my pick for green is is Mads Pedersen. Um, you know, he seems to have kind of made it a thing to go for points jerseys, right? At the Giro, at the Vuelta. Um, 
And yeah, I think, I think he, he's the kind of guy who may or may not win a stage, but he's always there and he can climb. So, uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. I think Pedersen's the guy. That's a solid bet. Yeah. That's a solid bet. I hadn't even thought of that. That's a, that's actually a really good choice. Um, we just uh, in a few minutes we have left, I do want to talk about Americans. There are a few and, uh, some of them are quite impressive. Uh, you know, it was funny to me watching the Netflix documentary that Sepp Kuss got on screen a couple times, but they didn't talk about him at all, uh, which I find really interesting. Um, you know, who are the Americans to look out for in the race this year and what are their roles going to be? Well, it was interesting. I was just talking to uh, Matteo Jorgensen today uh, and he's going back with Movistar. Um, so, yeah, the, the big Americans are, yeah, Sepp. Uh, Nielsen and, and Matteo. There's a few other guys in the bubble, like uh, Minolti's not going. Uh, Magnus won't be going. He obviously crashed in that ter- right. tragedy at Tour de Suisse. Um, yeah. Quinn Simmons and Lawson are kind of on the bubble. Kevin Vermach is in. He got confirmed already uh, for Team DSM. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's a pretty good crop of young Americans coming up. And uh, yeah, I haven't watched the Netflix documentary yet. Uh, I just got, I just got through the, the Michael Jordan bulls. Oh yeah. Uh, that, you know, that, was, <laughs> really, that was, that was just like living through my glory days back in the nineties. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, I kept, I kept the hoodie watch alive when I was watching Netflix. I didn't spot you, but I did see, I got one brief glimpse of Gregor Brown, the back of his head in the Netflix doc. Oh, <laughs> oh, nice. no, no hoodie sightings. <laughs> For, to answer that question, I, I would put it as kind of a coin toss between Simmons and Paulist. Um, Simmons, they both tried actually quite a bit last year. Yeah. Um, I think Paulus and it, it's actually addressed a little, I think Vodders, uh, mentioned it in the, in the, in the Netflix deck. Paulus sometimes gets a little over eager. I think he needs to, mm-hmm. uh, really focus on the stages, uh, that he, that he thinks he can win and then, you know, maybe ride just a little bit smarter. He's definitely got the, the capability. I think he's got the strength to do it. Um, and Simmons is, is an incredible rider. Um, I think, I think he maybe also needs to scale back the attempts and really kind of focus in and refine, but, uh, I don't know between the two of them, it's hard to pick one. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, we've seen Sepp win a stage and we could see that scenario repeated as well later in the race. Once the yellow jerseys and, you know, comfortable lead, if if that's to happen. Yeah, I was going to say, what what would be the what do you think would be the fundamental criteria that Jumbo Visma would need to let Sepp off the leash to go try for a stage win? I mean, just secure the yellow jersey and have a big big cushion. Yeah, two three minutes over Pogacar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to have Pogacar in a cast before you let yeah. Sepp <laughs> off the leash this year. Yeah, yeah. That's that's too bad because I do think Sepp is a is a really uh, he's kind of like. I always watch Sepp Kuss climb and I'm like, he's, he looks like he's just out for a Sunday stroll, just kind of like enjoying the scenery. I mean, he's just so effortless. I really think he could do a lot of damage, but I mean, I, he's obviously very useful as a Lieutenant. So we may not see him get the chance, but, uh, but it's always fun when he does get a let off the leash. He, he um, does yeah. not like the time trial and the time trial doesn't like yeah. him. And that's, you know, that's right. his Achilles heel. And, you know, I, I think Sepp might just be one of those riders and I, I can't fault him at all. Not every rider wants to be a, a GC leader. It's a lot of pressure. Right. It's a lot of pressure in the race. It's a lot of pressure outside of the race. 
And there are writers, I remember years ago talking to Christian Vanderbilt about this and him saying, you know, he liked being a super domestique. That one tour where he, I think, finished fourth, he, afterwards he was more or less was like, I don't ever want to do that again. Like, I, I like being yeah. in the role of, you know, I, I do my work and then I swing off and then all eyes are on somebody else. And, you know, I know my role and I, I know exactly um, what to do and when it's over and, and everyone leaves me alone after. And I think there might be some of that with Sepkus as well. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Not everybody wants a spotlight, um, but there's a spotlight every day. So what is your, uh, to close this out, what is your dark horse pick for a stage win this year? Who do you think we're going to see uh, nab glory somewhere along the route? Any dark horse picks? Among Americans or among anybody you mean? Anybody, anybody you want. Okay. Um, I, I think uh, Peo Bilbao will win a stage. Maybe even the first stage or the second stage. I mean, he's, he's Basque. So he's yeah. going to be just going for it. Super motivated, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's a good choice, Neil. I'm looking. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Andy. You got yeah, go ahead, Andy. Well, and then, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll delay. <laughs> yeah. Well, then I, I wanted to just follow up on a comment about uh, Matteo Jorgensen real quick. Um, yeah. When I was speaking to him today, I was just, um, you know, I was going on the assumption that he'd be like, you know, a stage hunting role again. And, yeah. uh, but he, he's, he was saying that his role has changed in Movistar, that he's now – being tapped to be like the last man on the mountains for Enrique really? Moss. So that he's going to be, you know, but to me that just reflects just how far that guy has come in his career. Yeah. I mean, of all the young Americans coming up, Mateo Jorgensen to me is one of the most impressive because I mean, mm. I mean, uh, Sepp is like a meteor, you know, he's just natural right. born climber, one stage in the world on the tour. I mean, he's, he's established as the best Mountain domestique in the Peloton right now, right, um, right. But in terms of the trajectory that Jorgensen came through, he's so versatile. I mean, this year at the Classics, you know, he was fourth at Harrowbecka, you know, top ten in Flanders, second at Roman D, won his first race in Oman. Last year, I think he rode into three breakaways, you know, and he was at, in the running for the win all three times. He, you know, they, those breaks made it to the line. And he was waiting for the win. Uh, but this year he said, you know, he's going to be the last guy for Enrique Moss. And on a team like Movistar, which is just filled with Spanish climbers, that just shows right. you how strong he is right now. Yeah. So he's yeah. a guy I think that, you know, his future is just yeah, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So the tea leaves are, are pointing toward big things for, for Jorgensen in the coming years, for sure. Neil, what about you? Any dark horse pick? Well... <laughs> Can I can I reframe still, the question a little? Uh, sure. I have a romantic pick, which would be Thibaut Pinot oh, in his final tour. Yes, um, would love yeah. to see it. He also uh, could stand to to remove a bit of emotion from his race, and we saw him make some really questionable decisions. Uh, uh, decisions maybe isn't the right word. Uh, he had some very strong emotions there at the Giro, um, but I think he has it in him, and I would love to see it uh, for him to win a stage. I think. Uh, up until the, the tragedy last week, I would have picked Magnus Sheffield to win a stage because Ineos doesn't appear to have a, a an outright GC leader and Sheffield's an incredible sure. rider. Um, mm-hmm. And then not at all a dark horse, but I would be very surprised if the tour ends without Tom Pitcock winning a stage. I think that, you know, he, okay. he is very much, and we saw that in that Netflix doc. Um, he is very much mm-hmm. the type of rider who can circle a, a stage in the in the road book and say that's my day 
That's my guy. And, my day, and, yeah. and make it happen. I mean, he was the best rider in that breakaway on the descent, on the climb. Um, and, you know, Pit- Pitcock's a rider who I think in the future wants to target the GC at the tour. The mm-hmm. question is, does he sort of kind of uh, dress rehearsal that this year? Or does he, con- you know, continue to kind of just poach stages? But I, I, I think right, he'll win a stage. Right. Those are, those are all solid, solid choices. I, I don't even know who I pick. I mean, you know, you mentioned Mads Pedersen earlier. I kind of think, I kind of think this might be his moment. I'd like to see him, him nab something, uh, but man. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. I think Pidcock is, is a solid bet. Um, anyway, we've got, we've got racing to come and I think, you know, there's a lot that can happen between now and actually the start of the tour. So, uh, you know, there still remains to be seen as some of these storylines even come to fruition. So we'll have to catch up again. Uh, Hoodie, I know you're off to the tour in a couple of days, right? To get uh, to get ready for for those uh, those pre-days uh, when the teams are getting ready. Uh, Neil, you and I will be watching from home, I think. But uh, we'll we'll have to catch up again, gentlemen, again, and uh, and sort of do a, a mid, mid-race debrief and see if any of our storylines came to fruition. Uh, in the meantime, thank you, gentlemen, for, for coming on the show today. And if any of you listening have questions for Neil uh, or Hoodie, I'm happy to pass them along. You can uh, you can get me at, on Twitter, at SlowGuyFastRide, on Instagram, at SlowGuyOnTheFastRide, and, of course, SlowGuyOnTheFastRide.com. Neil and Hoodie, you're both pretty active on Twitter. Can you uh, share your uh, names if people want to follow? Sure. Yeah, I'm at Neil Rogers, N-E-A-L-R-O-G-E-R-S. Hoodie, you are? You're a hoodie. You're a hoodie. All right, so those those are the two yeah, names. Uh, I've taken Twitter off my phone. You know, I'm like one of those. Oh no, detoxing social media detox. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, you I'll be in touch. Hit me a note. I'll I'll reply. Okay. All right. You can't you can't get through the whole tour without Twitter, can you? That's that's like an <laughs> impossibility. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, give those gentlemen a follow. That's that's where a lot of the best information you're going to get from this year's Tour de France is going to be. Uh, and gentlemen, thank you again for uh, for joining me today. Appreciate your time. You got it. Thanks. Thanks for having me.